So you and I look at someone who's in the NFL and we say, that guy is making more money than you and I are. He's famous. He lives in a bigger house. He's not oppressed. Wrongo. The NFL is a modern day gladiator system where the rich white men, because remember who owns the team, they pay their pawns to play their games for them, for their enjoyment. And for the white power structure's enjoyment. Okay. Do you see what, just, what you just did there? You assumed that, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying, no, this I, is, I, I've done, I do the same thing. There. I assumed that, why would Callum Kaepernick get on his knee and say, oh, I'm trying to do something for oppression? Brother, you make more money in a year than I'll make in my life. What are you doing? But that's not what the critical race theorist says. Critical race theorist says he's just a tool of the power structure. So is that his way of thumbing his nose at the oppressors? I have no clue. I don't know what that. Oh, I, well, yeah, I mean, in, reality, that, in, in a way, I think that that's part of it. That's yeah. Why he's motivated to do that? Yeah, and I think that again. So should all of these black athletes just quit because they're being pawns in the in the, in the white power structure? Well, go to this. That would help. <laughs> go to this. Here's where you see their argument. And I don't want to completely uh, downplay some of their... I think that there is some problems here where you have a JUCO kid who was passed through all of his high school yeah. because he could play football well. He goes to a JUCO because he can't, he can't cut it academically anywhere else. And he gets his body beat up for two years and has no education, but we, he, was ha he had the crud beat out of him for two years so that Gravel Road Community College, we're talking about Gravel Road High School, or Gravel Road Church, but Gravel Road Community College could exist and make money. Do you see what they just did? They, they, you'd say, they used that guy to put butts in the seats at their community college. And in a way... But what if he succeeds? He doesn't. See, see, I but see, that happens in all different things, though, by the way. Exactly. Yeah. What if he succeeds, then good for him. He somehow made it out, but he's still stuck in the, tool, the wheels of oppression. He's still a cog in the wheel. See, I feel oppressed because I, I played basketball and baseball at Bland High School for three years, and 80% of the pro basketball players and 80% of the pro baseball players are more black. And I feel oppressed because I didn't have much of a shot. Well, but the problem is <laughs> the problem is you can't feel oppressed. You can't be. And this is where but this is where Crenshaw's piece on the history. See what you and I would say is, and I think that we're rightfully none of us ever owned a slave. I'm pretty sure that nobody is near that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even think my great great grandparents I'm 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 Native American and Dutch, right? Um, Van Vevers didn't come over here until after slavery was over, right? Um, now, I am Cherokee, and Cherokees did own slaves. I forget about that. Cherokees did own slaves, so there's a chance, right? 
Uh, but what we would say is, well, that's the past, and we've detached ourselves from that. Critical race theory says you can't. Mm-hmm. You are stuck in the power structures that your domineering culture created. There's no such thing as repentance. There's no way out of it. So you see the parallel here within critical race theory. Now to kind of get, thank you so much. Now for me to show you how critical race theory makes its way into the church. Because if you're like me, I mean, I'll never forget in my rhetoric class at Missouri State University, when we studied uh, critical theorists for the first time, would have never associated that with Christianity, would have never associated that with modern evangelicalism, would have never thought anything about how it could ever be connected. Even critical race theory, I would have thought, well, that's foreign to the church. Um, In walks James Cohen, Cornel West, and in walks black liberation theology. You remember in 2007, 2006, when Barack Obama ran for president the first time, everyone was upset because he sat under the teachings of Jeremiah Wright. You remember that? Yep. And what was the statement about Jeremiah Wright? He was a black liberation theologian. This is where it makes its way in. People like Cohen, black power and black theology, said I wasn't going to, wasn't going to tell nobody. The cross and the lynching tree. Their writings make it into uh, the litany of different perspectives on theology, and some people began to gravitate towards that idea. Cohen says this about uh, black liberation theology. He says, it came out of a need for black people to define the scope and the meaning of black existence in a white racist society. Here is where things get very interesting. Cohen died in 2017. Southeastern Theological Seminary dedicated two days on celebrating the works of Cohen. In 2018, at the MLK 50 conference, Cohen was probably the most cited theologian of those individuals. Was this, the, this conference done? was done by the ERLC, oh. the MLK 50 conference. You can go back and watch and listen to the people that they quote. Cohen is one that, they, that shows up repeatedly. Right? That's how I knew to read him, because who is this guy? I, I, knew, I knew nothing of him. So let me give you just a, a brief refresher on what black liberation theology is. I'm sorry these are small. I really, I didn't know how big my screen was going to be. So I'll try to read them to you and, and summarize them briefly. But uh, black liberation theology, you know, they've got some different positions. And, and these perspectives are not unique with Dave. If you'd like to know my sources, I will be more than happy to just copy off my notes for you if you'd like to see them. But essentially, their view of God, black liberation theology views God as the dominant uh, perspective on God is that uh, is a God in action, delivering the oppressed because of his righteousness. His eminence is stressed over his transcendence. As a result, he is seen as a God to be in flux, always changing things. At its root, black liberation theology says that the God's main trait is that of liberator, that of always taking the side of the oppressed. 
the doctrine of the Trinity is not stressed in black liberation theology. However, Jesus is God, but in the sense of God's visible expression of concerns and salvation. Not necessarily the Redeemer, but his expression of concern and salvation is also viewed very differently because salvation is freedom from oppression that pertains to blacks in this life. Black liberation theology, when they speak of salvation, they're not talking about what you and I are talking about, in other words. Uh, they believe, of course, black liberation theology rejects uh, the inerrancy of God's word. Cohen says, the, says that exactly uh, in his book, said I wasn't going to tell no one. In fact, he says that inerrancy is a silly concept that should be totally rejected. And this is a guy that was being quoted from in conferences by the MLK 50. And this is the guy that they dedicated like two days of podcast to at Southeastern Seminary. God help us. It is a problem. Uh, of course, according to Black Liberation Theology, Christ is one who delivers most exclusively in social ways. He's the liberator or the black Messiah whose work of emancipation for the poor and rejected of society uh, in parallel to the black's quest of liberation. Jesus' message, according to Cohen, is black power. And that is from his book. That's a direct quote from his book, Black Liberation and Black Theology. So as you can see, black liberation theology, liberation theology, very similar, but black liberation theology gets its roots in essentially critical race theory, and then black liberation theology makes its way into our, uh, unfortunately, some of our seminary teaching and some of our seminary classrooms. And I don't want to say all, and I don't want to point with all broad brushstrokes either. So that moves to this. Because remember I said we were going to talk about critical theory, critical race theory, on intersectionality. Because Resolution 9 embraces critical theory, or excuse me, critical race theory and intersectionality as useful analytical tools for understanding race. So, intersectionality. Now, I didn't know who was all going to be here, so I had this idea if you had a smartphone, you could go to intersectionalityscore.com and you could take your intersectionality quiz. <laughs> what is intersectionality? Because we've, Southern Baptist affirmed it. What did you get? So I'm just curious. What was your, tell me your score. It'll take you just a minute. What's your intersectionality score? Intersectionalityscore.com. Mine was a 15. Uh, how many? Out of 100. 15 out of 100? The lower your score, the, the, the less oppressed you are. The higher your score, the more oppressed you are. I see. And who developed this scoring? Kimberly Crenshaw. Black Power. And Kathy Davis. Kimberly Crenshaw and Kathy Davis. And they define intersectionality as... How identities occur at the crossroads of gender, race, sexuality, age, occupation, and any other number of characteristics. In other words, intersectionality is the theory that the overlap of various social identities such as race, gender, and sexuality define your level of systemic oppression. 
Guys are filling them out, right? Systemic. So think about systemic as structured oppression. Structured oppression. When they say that we live in a systemically racist society, what is being said is that the white male created a system that would keep everyone but the white male down. Structured. Systemic racism is structured racism. They're very weird they are weird Stand questions. It. I didn't know if I had... Very black light, like, so are you cisgender or transgender? Are you Christian, Muslim, or Jewish? And They're rating you on those? Yeah. If the answer yes or no, or actually you have to give like a... There's a little s- bar. Little, little slide, yeah. Yeah. I got it. So, in other words, the picture you get with intersectionality is this. So... Every step away from a, seriously, a white, able-bodied, heterosexual male that you are, you get points. So I'm a white, heterosexual male, and I'm a Christian. So I have all of these privileges because of that, because of our society systemically or systematically creating a culture where the white male is the dominant force. But here's one thing I've got against me. I'm not able-bodied, right? I, I have a messed up foot. I have a, like, metal all in my foot, and I have kind of a janky leg, right? So I, I really do have some spinal issues with my leg. Oh, well, so then that gives me a few points because I, I'm not able-bodied completely, so I'm slightly disabled, right? And I forgot your first name. Chris. And so Chris, if, if he is able-bodied completely, right, then he would not get that intersection. But let's just say, Chris, am I okay to to just use you as an example? So let's say Chris decides that he's a woman tonight. See, I told you it was going to be mean, right? (laughs) But see, if you just say, no, I'm really a woman. I feel like I'm a woman tonight. Your intersectionality score goes up. Why? You're a trans woman. And then let's say that you say, well, I'm also a Muslim tonight. Your oppression now gets worse. Now let's say that you say, ah, you know what? I'm also, no, and this is, you've heard the term there tonight, cisgendered, means that you identify as the gender that you were assigned at birth, which is crazy, assigned at birth. No, my biology tells me this is what I am. There's that rejection of empirical data. So anytime you hear, very seriously, every time you hear someone who is more liberal, and I don't say that in like, Somewhat in the political sense, yeah. Anytime they say, well, you don't believe science, you'd say, I don't need to trust empirical data. Why are you telling me to trust empirical data? You've just oppressed me. Just by the way. You can see that in, I mean, they're very vague questions that's very subjective. It's not how much money do you make, where do you live, it's are you rich or poor? Well, I feel like I'm pretty rich. I've never had to worry about having food on the table like I did when I was little. Yeah. But but if you say, I feel like I'm poor. poor. Yeah. But like, I was thinking about that with, uh, I don't know what your guys' stance on Amy Coney Bear, but um, I, I like her as a person. And she seems yeah. to be good. Um, but like, she would be the ideal female, right? Like, lots of kids, great career, yet still is a loving mom, has faith, all that stuff. But she had been attacked for not... Like, she's not a good person. She's a bad person, even though, like, the, the degree one feminist, right, the first 
movement of feminism would have been like this is perfection for us. Yes. Um, but she's it's all subjective, and if there's people further than you, then they're not. Intersectionality would say every level of oppression that you can step through, every hoop that you can step through, the more oppressed you are. So, Just so you know, I'm a horrible oppressor. What is your score? score? My score is eight. Eight, yep. Mm. The average score in my college classroom was like that, except for we had one outlier uh, in, in the class uh, who was a minority. Uh, but even he didn't have that high of a score. So here's the interesting thing about intersectionality. Intersectionality doesn't, o- doesn't only say you're oppressed. It also would say your view of reality is wrong because you're not oppressed. Did you get that? So you can't objectively understand, not objectively, there is no real objective reality, by the way. But you can't get that close to objective reality because your score is so low. Because you haven't really been oppressed, you really don't know what's going on. All right. So, brings me to this last little point. How am I doing on time? Oh, you're fine. Okay. Why does it matter? Well, here's why it matters. Here's why it's a big deal. Now, the reason it matters to you and me is because of Resolution 9, passed at the Southern Baptist Convention in 2019. David, were you at, were you, were you there? Was anyone there? I wasn't there. I was watching it on television, or watching it on the live stream, right? I, I don't pay to go down to, the, down to the conferences. I just watch it on the live stream, right? Uh, that's, that's, I mean, I go to the Missouri Baptist one, but, uh, and I'm watching it on the live stream, and this, Resolution comes up. Resolution on critical race theory and intersectionality. And I thought, what? Because I immediately reverted back to what I had been educated about these two topics were when I was a graduate student at Missouri State University. We need to have an understanding of critical race theory and intersectionality because it's too late for us to say, well, let's educate ourselves on it so we can keep it out of our denomination. That's false. It's already there. In fact, it's already in the textbooks for modern missionary movements. In fact, some of the same words that are used, that were used to defend um, Resolution 9, one of the things that was said repeatedly was, it is an analytical tool. What's an analytical tool? It's a fancy way of saying, it gives me information that I can use to know about reality. An analytical tool. It analyzes things to give me a better view of what's going on. That is almost a direct quote from David Bosch's book, Transforming Missions, Paradigm Shifts in Theology of Missions. Bosch, give me a second, and I'll turn the page because it's uh, in the footnote right here. Um, I, of course, read uh, Bosch's book. I read this quotation from Bosch's book in Joseph Boot's book, The Mission of God. So I would have to give you, I only read the quote from Boot's book, and Boot's book is a rather extensive book. My my colleague that I do a podcast with pointed this out to me as I was kind of making sure that I was ready to communicate some things. And he's like, dude, that's what Bosch says in his book. Here's where Boot gives a direct. And it's a, it is a block quotation. It's not just like a you know, short line. What page is it on? 
this is on page 224 in, in Boot's book. But uh, Boot is, it's a, it is a secondary, I'm making a secondary reference, but I'm using what Boot has said about Bosch. But it's a 1991 book, and I did actually look up the book. I didn't go and check to see in his footnotes where, where, where it was. But essentially, what Bosch argues in transforming missions is that Marxism with missions in third world countries is essentially what needs to happen rather than contending for the atonement as being the focus of missions we need to focus on overturning oppression in our modern missions movements social gospel who is he connected what denomination is he connected i do not know what denomination that Bosch is connected with, but I imagine I no, I can't make that claim. But I'm assuming that he is because they're because the quotation was so close. Analytical tool and what Bosch says, analytical Marxism is an analytical tool or a tool. In fact, his direct word is. Bosch, the patriarch of contemporary missiology, downplays the fact that Marxism and socialism have ended in murder, violence, and failure by contending that the real Marx, the real Marx functions as an analytical tool of tremendous value. And that's his direct quote from Bosch. Bosch's quote is, it functions as an analytical tool of tremendous value. Sounds really fishy to, or really similar to Critical theory is an analytical tool. And so I, I think that I am drawing a parallel there because Boot draws a parallel there. Um, but the words are so similar. Uh, and I'll look up that book, his actual book, and see uh, who it is afterwards. But great question. I would ask the same thing. So we're much better off by not having a convention this year is to have one that did that lot. <laughs> the 20, well... Yeah. In 2020, they were, and there are people that were going to overturn Resolution 9. There was a large group of people that were ready to do it. Uh, and I'll be happy to point you to some of those folks here in just a minute. So. Well, we all feel guilty. There, you know, the white people just feel so guilty in this country because the blacks and the Mexicans and the, everybody that's different color than we are or different background, we learn to be allow everything to go on because of our personal guilt, so to speak, when in reality the church is to be evangelizing people instead of coercing them by uh, these methods. I'm sorry, but that's... No, I, and I agree with you. Well, it seems like if you preach the atonement and people get saved and then they start trying to live by the, the golden rule and treat people the way they want to be treated, then, then it's going to take care of uh, oppression. You're, when you see it, you're going to be convicted, and but, it's going to be a natural chain reaction. But according to the worldview, critical theory as a worldview, the greatest uh, the greatest need is freedom from oppression. What well, we would say, yeah, freedom from the oppression of sin, not racial oppression, not economic oppression, not sociological oppression, oppression from Sin. You're you're right. Yeah, oppression. That's a real thing. Oppression from sin. Yeah. And so it's a different gospel. And that isn't just Dave saying that. It's like, a, you know, do you watch the Founders podcast at all? That's exactly what the Founders or Founders folks are saying. Yes, sir. 
And maybe you're going to get there real quick. Yeah, no, no problem. But one of my concerns, and this goes back to that early conversation when you first got here, yeah. is why as a convention would we want to embrace any part of a worldview that ultimately says there can never be reconciliation? Yeah. Great stinking question. I don't know the answer. That's why I wrote my resolution in 2019 for the Missouri Baptist Convention that was rejected. So in 2019, the Southern Baptist Convention occurs in, is it June? Right? Yeah, June every year. So I hear about Resolution 9. I contact Tom Askell. uh, I contact Tom Buck. And I visit with both of them. In fact, I visited with Tom Buck over the phone for over an hour. Uh, And he came on the podcast that I host. And as we were talking, I said, well, what do we do? You know, and he said, well, write resolutions for your state conventions to say we do not embrace critical race theory. We do not embrace intersectionality. So I sat down in front of my computer with my really good friend Adam, and we wrote out a resolution. Missouri Baptists reject critical race theory and intersectionality. Just like a resolution, and I'll actually pull up some of Resolution 9 here just to read you a few little pieces. Uh, My resolution rejected those things. We sent it to the convention. We get a hearing. Thought I defended it all right. Didn't really have much pushback, by the way. I mean, I really didn't. I think the one question was, well, doesn't this, you know, basically reject what happened at the Southern Baptist Convention? I said, yeah, because I I think Missouri Baptists do reject that idea. Go to the convention or go to the annual meeting in Branson in 2019, and I find out that my resolution was not accepted. So I chased down one of the members of the resolution committee. Why was my resolution rejected? It's a direct quote. Because no one understands what critical race theory and intersectionality is. Exactly. That's why that passed to begin with. And I said, that's the problem. So rather than actually addressing the problem, it was, well, we're just not going to do that because no one else knows it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you try it again this year? Someone else did. Another, uh, so this year. I passed my resolution on to another pastor, not someone that I'm really good friends with, a guy that I'm Facebook friends with, who's, uh, I want to say that he's a pastor of like a founders friendly church. Mm -hmm. And he was, he sat down with, I believe again, Tom Askell and said, okay, here's what we've got. He helped him again. They didn't get it on the floor. Now he didn't tell me what his, what the response was, but my thought is, again, in 2021, we write a resolution, and from the floor, if they don't let it get past the resolutions committee, we then vote it in. Does that make, just like we did with the abolition one. Yeah. And that's what has to happen. And state, and oh, by the way, Arkansas rejected critical race theory intersectionality, the Arkansas Baptist Convention. They did accept a one that over rejected what the Southern Baptist uh, Resolution 9? They rebuked critical race theory, the Arkansas Baptist Convention did. Is that the only convention that has? It's the only one that I know of. 
It's the only one that I know of. I'm not saying that there isn't. So many states did not meet this year. So yeah, that's true. There, yeah, I know Kansas, Nebraska didn't meet this year. Yeah. I don't even know if the Oklahoma Baptist. They've had two years to meet since uh, Resolution 9. Yeah, well, again, so here's the thing, though. Most, so the average Baptist church, I believe the normal size Baptist church has probably a bivocational pastor now. I believe there's more bivocational pastors than there are full-time. I mean, 60% of them are more. So my dad, I told you all, my dad is a pastor at the same church for 35 years. He's bivocational. Uh, he's a director of transportation, used to own a window cleaning company. Uh, he was really fortunate. You know, he got to go to seminary. Um, I think I think he's a pretty sharp dude. When I started talking to him, I was like, man, that was so bad about critical race theory. He said, what, is, what are you talking about? I said, yeah. well, the Southern Baptist Convention voted to accept it as an analytical tool. My dad said... I didn't know anything about that. I don't even know what it is. What is it? Now, he's a smart dude. I, I feel like my dad's a smart guy, right? I mean, I, I really do feel like he's, you know, I think we should all feel that way about our parents, by the way. <laughs> uh, but I, but I, I, even if he wasn't, my dad said, well, this is a guy with a master's degree. He obviously has been able to deal with the same set of people for 35 years. And, and now as a pastor of the same church for six years, if you can navigate people for that long, you have some special skills. Uh, <laughs> and so he had no clue. He didn't even know that the Southern Baptist Convention had adopted it as a resolution. Didn't know what it was. So your average pastor... Even today, I'll bet you, still doesn't know what this is. Are you familiar with Vadi Bakum? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. My son, Love my son yeah. is a lady. Well, he's, mm-hmm. he's part of the evangelical church, mm-hmm. um, but he's one of their elders. Yeah. And he studies a lot. He's the one who put me on to Vadi Bakum. Yeah. And I, I was listening to Vadi, and I thought, what is he saying? First time I He's heard great, him. yeah. Because, I mean, this was, this is like talking in another world, another yeah. language. But he's awesome. a black man. But he's well awesome. worth listening to. Oh, yes. If you, you, you can find him on Facebook, <laughs> on, uh, on uh, YouTube. Yeah. So go and listen. I bought one of his books the other day, uh, Joseph and the Gospel of Many Colors. Hmm. Um, he's written two or three, but that one was cheap. I'm sorry. I'm really <laughs> so start cheaply. In, That's right. Yeah. In the, uh, in the spring of 2019, a statement came out called the Social Justice Statement. Mm-hmm. And it was essentially rebuking the idea of trying to placate racial reconciliation within the church. Right, And it does reject critical race theory. It does reject this idea of always racially reconciling. That's not scriptural. right? Sin is sin. It's gone. It's done. It's nailed to the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not holding the sin against someone, what they did. I can't even hold the sin against what you know, my wife burned the toast. I'm not even supposed to hold that against her, right? Like, I mean, that have, it didn't happen. I don't eat toast anyways. But... Uh, uh, but in Christ for new creation. And so this idea of having essentially an inherited guilt or living with this repeated what's that? Isn't it a you owe me, you oppressors, you owe me. Uh, Living with a victim. Yeah. 
well, you're not. <laughs> And I'm not. That's what the yeah. word. Yeah. No, I know. I, I'm, I'm joking with you. I, I hope it was okay that I joked with you. Black or whoever's the minority. Uh, One thing. What are these guys going to have? A lot white, white slaves. Yeah. Daniel Boone was a slave. By the way, you know this, right? He was. Slave mm-hmm. of the Cherokees. He was. So wait a second. He was an oppressed person. Oh, I I realize that, yeah. Um, Let me jump into this real quick. Don't want me abusing one's time, by the way. So what I did is I went through Resolution 9. You can pull it up. And I just grabbed things that uh, alerted me from the resolution. So I thought I would read them to you and then point out where we can see critical theory, critical race theory, or intersectionality in the verbiage. So uh, I've... I've numbered the whereases and the resolves. Uh, if you've read a resolution, there's always a whole bunch of whereases and yeah. a whole bunch of resolves. I just numbered them since I'm not using every single one of them. So, whereas concerns have been raised by some evangelicals over the use of frameworks such as critical race theory and intersectionality. After tonight, I think that you would say that you're with me. I do have concerns over the frameworks of critical race theory and intersectionality being brought into the church. Why? It's a worldview that runs counter to the Christian worldview. Why? I actually agree with that. Concerns have been raised, but not loud enough. Whereas critical race theory is a, there's that statement, a set of analytical tools that explain how race has and continues to function in society. That's not the primary goal of critical race theory or critical theory, by the way, to explain how race has and continues to function in society. That's not its primary purpose. That's false. Its primary purpose is to show the oppressed and the oppressor and to topple power structures. That is a faulty statement in the resolution. Have you all seen that tonight? I would just hope that you... Right. I mean, isn't it, I mean, from a biblical, theological standpoint, isn't it, auto, isn't it instantly in error when it talks about how race has and continued to function? Traditionally, we've believed that there is one race. That's we right. Different ethnicities. We all understand that. There's one race. So... I mean, I understand how that, the word race is frequently used in our culture, but if, if this is coming out of the Southern Baptist Convention, I mean, from, from the get-go, we're saying, we just have made a theological categorical error here. Well, and, and, and here's the other piece. They give you a definition of critical race theory. Do you see their definition there? Mm-hmm. That's their definition. That's not the full definition, and that's not the right definition. But yeah, I agree with you completely on the category of race. Uh, there is one, the human race, right? Mm-hmm. Certainly. And in Christ, and I would say, as Christians, we're in Christ or we're in Adam, right? And uh, that's how we see people. We do see some categories in Christ or in Adam, right? Mm-hmm. Here's their definition of intersectionality. Now, I gave you a definition of intersectionality. How close is this to that? Intersectionality is a study of how different personal characteristics overlap and inform one's experience. That's not what Crenshaw argues. Crenshaw is the author, right, of intersectionality. That's not even close to how she says that. There's no overlapping. 
Yeah, the overlapping, I mean, the intersections is what she calls them, but inform one's experience. No, it's not inform one's experience. How characteristics create oppression, not inform. I wonder if the person that wrote this resolution just didn't understand. Oh, no, they did. Oh, did they? Do you know who wrote the uh, resolution? So the re- you can look up the Resolutions Committee of 2019. Um, here's the issue. Uh, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention appoints the Resolutions Committee. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. You have the same president for 2021. Just so you know. From North Carolina. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you could have had, if we would have met, you could be having someone like Albert Mueller. But I, by God's design, we... We didn't get Albert Mueller this time. I think it's like the third time he's ran and every time something crazy has happened or whatever. Uh, (laughs) Not saying that he's some savior, by the way. Uh, But what I am saying is I think he's going to give us a good Southern Baptist position. But your president appoints the resolutions committee. That's part of it. So you'll have a similar makeup of resolutions committee, folks. All right. I jumped four, seven, eleven. Right, so four evangelical scholars who affirm the authority and sufficiency of Scripture have employed selective insights from critical race theory and intersectionality to understand multifaceted social dynamics. Hmm. That is a faulty statement as well. I'm sitting here, you know. Sufficiency of Scripture. You guys have probably studied the sufficiency of Scripture, I'm assuming, right? What is it? God said enough. All that needs to be said is said in Scripture. If I'm having to go elsewhere, and I mean this, to gain insight about social dynamics, mm-hmm. I'm saying that God's word isn't enough about right. how human beings are reconciled right. and how to reconcile oppression. Mm-hmm. Or even what is oppression, by saying the way. that race has nothing to do with the scriptures, too. Yeah, well, you're right. Grace is, race is, is insufficiently handled right. by, sco- by, scripture. by scripture. Yeah, that's why I, I think... Uh, are they doing this because of the guilt out of the Southern Baptist Convention, the Confederacy, the Civil War? Is that so, what this brings from? Yeah, so there is a there is a unique dynamic that we have as Southern Baptist. And I don't think it gets talked about enough by a lot of folks. We were born out of the Civil War, right? So the Baptists were the only denomination not to reconcile after the war. We were started because... The Northern Baptists wouldn't accept money or allow missionaries to go who had owned slaves. So we said, great, we'll start our own. We never reconciled. So the fact that many of our founders were slaveholders, I'm sorry, I don't feel guilty about that. I don't feel guilty about the Crusades because if I'm being honest as a Christian... I do have to trace some of my lineage back to, because that's prior to the Protestant Reformation, by the way, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't feel guilty about that. And I've not had any Romans come up to me and apologize for slaughtering Christians. So we are holding unequal standards. So what happens is there's a way to impugn guilt onto people when they say, oh, your denomination you guys such a racist denomination. Actually, we were the first denomination, this is not a joke, in one of our first resolutions, we were the first denomination to say it's important to educate uh, blacks. We actually were the, we are, it is important for us to train black 
pastors. You can read every single resolution. One of the very first resolutions was, we believe that it's important that uh, what they're saying, they're using antiquated language, but saying Negroes, the Negro race, to have pastors and for us to educate pastors to minister the gospel to the Negro race. It's actually one of our first resolutions, right? Uh, and by the way, we're like the only ones who were saying those things. Uh, Likewise, just so you know, we were like the first denomination to embrace um, the civil rights movement, just so you know. But again, we've got to forget those things. All those good things don't matter. It was that one bad thing. So our unique dynamic is, yeah, we did start like that. God uses what was intended for evil for good all the time. I mean, notice that when Joseph comes back in Genesis 50, he doesn't say, oh, you terrible guys, you slaved me. No, I'm not forgiving you. It was what you meant for bad, God meant for good. So this sets you up for failure all the time because you're white, male, American. Yes, sir. You'll never get this because according you're in the to, wrong category. Well, according to standpoint theory, none of us can. And this is what I always tell my students. So when are, they'll never be happy, these well, folk with the theories. They'll never they be happy down. because there is no answer. They'll tear down structures down. that are in existence. Well, and they won't be happy with that because somebody will do it differently over here and somebody will do it differently over here. They'll, without the Lord in it, they'll never be happy because only the Lord gives happiness. Well, amen, amen. Let me go with whereas number seven because this is a very... Uh, you can see how they're kind of overlapping, by the way, can't you? I mean... Sure. Critical race theory and intersectionality alone are insufficient to diagnose and redress the root cause of social ills that they identify. Number one, I agree that they are insufficient, but what social ills do they identify? Which is another problem. Because if I use intersectionality as a tool, it tells me that transgenderism is a social ill. Right, you you looked at the te- looked at it. You looked at it. It's intersectionality is telling me that transgenderism or anyone who is transphobic is actually a social ill. Mm-hmm. Do you see how it's it's? It, I've used the term before. It's painting with broad brushstrokes, and it's not giving you the whole picture of what intersectionality is. Then they say, yet these analytical tools can aid in evaluating a variety of human experiences. I hope I've convinced you that I hold the same place as Dr. Askell. It's not an analytical tool. It's a worldview. It's a way of seeing the world. Whereas Christian citizenship is not based on our differences, but instead our common salvation in Christ, the source of our truest and ultimate identity. If you put that line in there, you have to remove things like intersectionality Mm -hmm. and critical race theory. Mm -hmm. I actually left this one because I thought it was important. Yeah. But it's mixed categories. But they put that in. That's in there that makes the rest of it sound good. That's how I feel. (laughs) Uh, Oop, did I go backwards? I did. No, I didn't. That's right. Resolve. I've got my last resolves. Yeah. Resolve. The messengers of the Southern Baptist Convention in Birmingham, Alabama, June 11 and 12, 2019, affirm... Scripture is the first, last, and sufficient authority with regard to how the church seeks to redress social ills, and we reject any conduct, creeds, religious opinions that contradict Scripture. Here's the issue. Notice that they say it's the sufficient authority on how the church seeks to redress social ills. 
It's not the authority on defining social ills. That is, again, where do you, by what standard do you identify a social ill? Do you see how they, these, they mix the language so much that it, well, okay, yeah, we agree, I agree with so much of that, but then, wait, redress social ills? What are social ills? Where's my definition for social ills? Because if my definition starts with critical race theory and intersectionality as a social ill, then I, then I can't really say that Scripture is a sufficient authority because they identify different things outside of Scripture as being social ills that Scripture doesn't define did, as social did ills. Did they get this out of uh, one of the theories? Yeah, this comes from... So what? It, when you're vague, you can make those rules up as you're talking with the person that you're dealing with in the debate. Yeah, uh, as we certainly. As here, we were bringing up things and you were saying bringing the other side of it mm -hmm. is the devil's advocate. Yeah. And that word, ill, ills, ills yeah. leaves you wide open to... Agreed, yeah. Both. Yeah. And how do you identify what those social ills are? Yeah. Uh, resolve the critical theory and intersectionality should only be employed as analytical tools subordinate to Scripture. Here's the problem. Critical race theory and intersectionality, they don't act as if they're subordinate to Scripture on their own. Mm -hmm. In fact, they would identify Scripture as a power structure or a tool for oppression. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they contradict. They, it's like oil and water. They don't mix. Agreed completely. All right, my last two little resolves I want to touch on. Southern Baptists will carefully analyze how the information gleaned from these tools are to, these tools are employed to address social dynamics. So you've just been told, Southern Baptist, you all get to use critical race theory and intersectionality to know how to address, redress social dynamics. Southern Baptist churches and institutions repudiate the misuse of insights gained. Insights gained from critical race theory and intersectionality? Why would we repudiate any insights gained from them? What good do you gain from them, I guess, because of their starting place being so divergent? That's my opinion. Um, and any unbiblical ideologies that emerge from their use when absolutized as a worldview. Here's the problem. The difference is those who are advocating for the application of critical race theory and intersectionality are arguing that it's not a worldview. Um, Trevin Wax, who was on the resolutions committee that year, uh, authored a few articles in David Dockery's Christian Worldview Study Bible. Um, that was put out by the by Lifeway, the Christian Standard Bible, right by B and H. If you go to, you used to be able to go to Lifeway. If you went online and ordered the Christian Worldview Study Bible, right, it has articles in it by authors. One of the 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 main editor is David Dockery. The assistant editor is is Trevin Wax, right? He was on this resolutions committee. There was is one of the names from Midwestern Seminary, Trevin Wax. I don't think so. I don't. Yeah. It's, it's in this. Somebody else, but he's 
part of... Um, he's done a lot of stuff for Lifeway. Well, he's also done a lot for um, the group that... Um, Gospel. Arson, Gospel Coalition. Gospel Coalition. Isn't he, isn't he associated mm-hmm. with Gospel Coalition? Mm-hmm. He is, yeah. And, and he went along with this. He's identified those four things that I told you that make up a worldview. Do you want to know where I got those from? His article in What is a Worldview? In the Worldview Study Bible published by B&H. But Trevin Wax went along with... He even wrote an article to defend it. To defend it? He knows what a worldview is. Critical race theory and intersectionality answer those questions that he says every worldview answers. Yet, he voted for this. On the resolutions committee, he put it forward. He wasn't the one who put it forward. Uh, Curtis Wood put it forward. Last one. Resolve the Southern Baptist churches seek to exhibit the eschatological promise in our churches in the present by focusing on unity in Christ amid image bearers and rightly celebrate our differences as determined by God in the new creation. We can't do that if we've already submitted to critical race theory and intersectionality. Mm-hmm. Questions, comments, thoughts? I hope I haven't abused your time tonight. I hope I haven't gone over. Um, social justice movement social justice movement is a grandchild of these things why would I say that what is a social justice movement about identifying oppression and trying to overturn it what is the attraction to Southern Baptist to this I think is it okay if I sit down please uh I think that it stems, I mean, I, I'm this, I am just shooting on the wind. So doesn't it sound cool to be woke? Being woke, that's a word that's used, right? Uh, Explain the word. Yeah. Explain it. Woke means that you have your eyes enlightened to injustice and inequity. Eric Mason's book, Woke Church, was celebrated by all kinds of Southern Baptist folks. I believe the attraction is, well, we want to be as racially diverse as we possibly can be, and how do we deal with that? I think that it sparks from that missions, that missiology, turning the paradigm on missiology, or on missions movements. What is your missions movement seeking to do, right? Well, missions movements should seek to call sinners to repentance and salvation, not let me grab whatever tools or whatever cultural constructs they've got in that society and try to use them to get them to accept Christ. Did I explain that all right? Like every single, it's kind of a slow fade. I just taught on Mormonism um, in our church, in a, in a small group, and from a, a surface level, not knowing much about the church, a person could confuse Mormonism with mm-hmm. Protestantism, right? Like, like there, there, there's a, a degree. But once you go deeper, it's clearly different. I think the majority of people are not people that are identifying critical race theory, much less even knowing what the word is. 
I believe now. Yeah, there no, I agree with you. That are influencing, but the average person, I believe, the and church in general, people higher up that yeah. are buying into this. And but I'm it. saying, I think, I think it's out of a com compassionate heart, right? They see people. They do see. I mean, how could you not see different people going through hardships? I mean, mm -hmm. we I want to do something to help them. Started up a ministry in our church because we saw a need in our community, and Christians are naturally desiring to take care of the widows, the orphans, or whatever. And so when they hear of a new group coming in saying, we're oppressed, whether it is based in facts or not, mm -hmm. or whatever, we want to be united. And, and there is an aspect of, okay, I get that statistically or not, but you do feel it, and I want to help you through this, and I want to show you the mm -hmm. Jesus. So it's coming out of an idea of, I just, we want to have all nationalities and all races and all people come to Jesus. Yeah. And we want to serve them and love them and invite them. But then as it gets further and further and as you get further and further into the theology, you start facing the, we got to overturn the oppressed. Yep. Where then it becomes movements where we focus more on social justice. Over the gospel. Issues over the gospel and then well, for that. And I would say the majority of churches, at least statistically based off of Pew Research, People are more um, likely to attend a social movement or protest than they are to share the gospel in their life. Mm -hmm. Sure. And so yeah. it, it's real easy to go into because we can see it right off the bat. Yeah. Right? I can well, see the person crying because they're hurting, but I don't see, or the average Christian doesn't think about the burning in hell type of scenario. Well, and here's the other element that I think is really important. What do we do about this? Because I think that's the most important thing. So I know, you know, I've got a different role than we all have different roles, right, within our, we're all pastors, right? Um, we all have an opportunity to serve as messengers in the Missouri Baptist Convention. Uh, I would say again and again, we go to the convention, we tell them at the convention floor, we're not going to stand for this. Um, that's a key thing. Not everyone's going to go to the... I mean, I'm not planning on going to the Southern Baptist Convention in 2021. I mean, I probably health-wise I could, you know. I imagine that hopefully we'll be on the other side of COVID. But I'm not going to go. But we need to let our state folks know where we are on these things and affirm resolutions about them. But likewise, we need to educate our people. I mean, this We're there. <laughs> oh, we've already, yeah, we've already. No, I mean, we, we, yeah. that's where we really need to be because mm -hmm. our people don't understand this issue. And, and so that's why, you know, in, in my class, when I teach critical theory, you basically got pretty close version to how I teach critical theory and critical race theory and intersectionality. I am combating what's being said there with scripture and I'm critiquing it from a Christian worldview, by the way, right? And so engaging our young evangelicals in this discussion about what does that mean? How do we understand that? And I would tell you again, don't discount the people in your church and their ability to understand this. You can tell them, hey, I learned about critical theory, critical race theory, intersectionality. I think it's important that we understand that there are these godless worldviews that are just like always, if the church doesn't push back it's going to, if it doesn't push into culture, push, culture's going to push into it, right? And so we're always on the offensive. That's, I think, you know, 1978, you know, the 1978 Chicago Statement, and I believe it was in 78, 
when the conservative resurgence really kind of began within the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, who, is the, who was it that was elected uh, president? Uh, I think it was 78 or 79. Uh, Probably Rogers. Rogers, yeah, yeah. When he's elected president, that's when, that's when it started. The conservative resurgence began to take momentum. The problem is we can't let that set because if we just let that set, the battle's not going to stop, right? Like there's going to always be another front in spiritual warfare. And so how do we train up the next generation, and then also, how do we continue the fight? I think is an important thing, and and the fight will look different for each of us in different ways. You know, um, I think this is an amazing opportunity to do something about it. Right.